you guys so much for tuning in. This is episode number 42 of Coaching Connections. Now on today's episode, we have Mr. Alan Stein Jr., a professional keynote speaker and the author of the book, Raise Your Game. If you had not had a chance to read it, it will definitely help change your life. Please do so immediately. I really am grateful for his time. Again, this is episode number 42 of Coaching Connections. Alan Stein Jr., let's get after it. Good morning. Good morning, Alan. How you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I appreciate you, bud. Absolutely. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much for your patience. Oh, no, it's all right. I'm, I'm glad we're able to work something out. Yeah, me too. Boy, I like your backdrop. You got some great pictures. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's, you got to have Kobe up there, of course, right? <laughs> absolutely. It looks great, man. Well, this is, uh, it's good to finally connect with you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, first, let me just say thank you uh, again, you know, for your time and, and your patience and your, uh, and I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk about life and hoops and leadership and everything else in between. No, absolutely my pleasure. I look forward to a really fun conversation. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, so let's just touch on, on, you know, since March, life's looked a little different, you know, with COVID kind of grounding all of us and forcing us to take time and, and reflect and, and things of that nature. So what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself during this time? I, the biggest thing I've learned is that uh, speaking is what I do. It's not who I am. Uh, you know, from a, a work standpoint, uh, I am a, a paid professional keynote speaker and author, and that's how I make my living. And when COVID hit and I wasn't able to travel and wasn't able to get on stages and wasn't able to do in-person events, uh, it, it really caused me to internally reflect and say, okay, um, if this avenue uh, is not available at the moment, then what is it that I can do to still be of service? You know, what can I do to pour into others? Where can I add value? And really had to take a deep dive into figuring out some other ways to still serve others. So it just reminded me that uh, I'm a coach at heart. You yeah. know, even when I'm a keynote speaker, speaking is just a platform that I use to share messages to help people. And again, with that avenue being closed, I've just had to find other ways to do it. So it just reminded me that, that I'm a coach and my job is to add value and serve others. And if I can do it through speaking, that's great. If I can't, then I can do it through things like this podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That makes perfect sense. The other day you posted something about exercise and meditation are investments in your life. And, and I couldn't agree with that more. And I love, I love that you said that. And, um, you know, so can, can you talk about why that's important? I think especially for people in, our, in, in the coaching profession, in any profession, really, we get real busy. You know, life kind of consumes us, and but it's important to find that balance to take care of yourself, your mind, your body. You know, so so what are some of the things that you would suggest? Well, first and foremost, um, anyone that's in any type of of leadership position or views themselves as a leader, which I hope everyone listening to this does. You know, even if you are not uh, a coach or a CEO, you know, I I hope that you consider yourself a leader because a leader is a choice. It's being a leader is the decision to help others and to serve others. Um, so I hope that everyone views themselves that way. And one of the most important things for a leader to do is to take care of themselves, you know, uh, self-care and exercise and meditation are, are two portions, uh, big portions, but two portions of self-care. You know, there's, there's an old adage that's been around a lot longer than I've been around that says you can't pour anything out of an empty cup. Yeah. And that really applies to us and to leadership because if, if you as a leader uh, aren't filling your cup mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, if appropriate to you. If you're not filling your cup, 
then you don't have very much to offer others. You don't have much to pour into them or to serve them. And uh, I know, as you just mentioned so perfectly, there are a lot of leaders that spend all of their time in service of others that they drain themselves. You know, they, they lack sleep, they don't exercise, they don't take care of themselves. And it's with noble intention. I mean, they're trying so hard to serve their families or serve their students or players or serve their, their team members if they're in business, um, but they're not able to do so to the degree that they're capable of. Mm-hmm. So leaders have to understand that when you make time for yourself, that's not selfish. You're actually doing it in service of others, you know, and th- this applies to every area of our life. I mean, my, my three children need me to show up as my best self for me to be the best father I can be. You know, if I am going to do a speaking engagement, even virtually, you know, those folks need me to show up as my best self so that I can give them the goods. You know, yeah. I can give them the <laughs> stuff that I have. Uh, so we just have to remember that, that making time for ourselves to fill our bucket needs to be a non-negotiable. And uh, I don't think you'd find anyone that would argue that things like exercise and meditation are good for us. I mean, I, I don't think anyone will argue that. But people usually uh, very quickly hide behind the excuse that I don't have the time to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I don't say that in a judgmental way. I understand. You know, if, if you're a working parent and, you know, you've got a, a lot of things going on and, and now with COVID, you've got to homeschool your children while at the same time run your business while at the same, t- I mean, I get it. But what those folks need to understand is that in this case, things like exercise and meditation and self-care, uh, I don't want them to look at them as taking time. What they'll actually be able to do is help you optimize your time. Um, So if you're thinking to yourself, well, I just don't have 30 minutes to go for a run, or I don't have 15 minutes to meditate, or I don't have 15 minutes to prep some healthy meals so that I don't have to eat fast food, uh, the investment that you'll make in that small piece of time will make you so much more productive during the rest of the day. So if you do get in 30 minutes of exercise and, and 10 minutes of of uh, meditation and you take 20 minutes to prepare healthy meals. So that's an hour you've invested, but that hour will allow you to think at a higher level. So you'll have clearer thoughts. You'll be a better problem solver, a better critical thinker. It'll give you more energy and focus so that then you can perform everything for the rest of the day at a higher level. So um, what I want folks to understand is that hour that you'll invest you'll get back that three or four fold on the back end because you'll get so much more accomplished for the rest of that day. And, and it's the same thing with sleep. Uh, people make the huge mistake of thinking, well, if I only sleep four hours a night, that will give me four more hours to get stuff done. Except those extra four hours, you're tired and you're groggy and you're cranky and you can't think clearly and you don't have high energy. So you're actually not getting very much done. If you would sleep seven or eight hours, then you're so much more productive for the rest of the day. So uh, I do want folks to look at those as an investment. And that's just in the short term. I mean, let, let's, if we want to really talk about time, uh, just realize that when you exercise and meditate and get plenty of sleep uh, and eat healthy foods, you're going to add years, if not decades, to your life. So this is not just about let's try to see how many hours we can squeeze in. I mean, there's no reason that that you can't add years to your life uh, of, and, and not just longevity, but vitality and healthy years um, by doing that. So this one hour investment per day might extend your life by five to 10 years 
um, if you do so consistently. So that's just something I want folks to make sure they understand. This is an investment and you will reap the benefits uh, several fold over. That was beautifully said, Alan. <laughs> Let me tell you. So I appreciate your insight, buddy. Thank you. So in, in regards to some of the things that you do to take care of yourself and challenge yourself, you know, I saw that you did the last man standing ultra marathon. Uh, so congratulations on that accomplishment. Um, talk, talk a little bit about what that is and, and, and what ways does that challenge you? Well, there's a gentleman named Jesse Itzler, and I don't know if your, your listeners are familiar with Jesse. Jesse is a, a speaker and an author, but he's a, a serial entrepreneur, a brilliant businessman. Uh, he's really a remarkable endurance athlete. Um, he's married to Sarah Blakely, who is the founder of Spanx. Uh, and she, at one time, was the youngest self-made female billionaire in the world. So they're quite a power couple. And, and I have so much admiration and respect for both of them. I mean, they, they have a wonderfully connected marriage. Um, they're wonderful uh, present parents to their children. Um, and yet they're both uber successful in what they do. Um, so on a side note, that is proof that you don't have to sacrifice family. You don't have to sacrifice health in order to be really, really successful. Um, by society's metrics of success, I don't think you'll find two people more successful than they are. And yet the foundation of their success is in their strong marriage and relationship, is in their parenting with their kids, is in doing you know, the, the things that they love to do. Well, Jesse uh, has a concept that, that really resonated with me and uh, it's called put something on your calendar or something like that. And, and he's, he, he believes that each of us should always have something on our calendar that we're looking forward to, um, maybe that we're training for, uh, something that we're, uh, an experience that we're really um, looking forward to, you know, so whatever it may be. And in Jesse's world, most of that revolves around physical fitness. Um, for me, it's the same thing. So most of the things I put on my calendar are something that I'll have to physically and mentally train for. Um, and I just like having something like that. So I'm not, I'm not a runner. Uh, I don't even really enjoy running. Um, but a friend of mine was going to do this last man standing event and, and asked if I wanted to do it. And, and I said, sure. And uh, jumped right in and only had about a month to train, but just really enjoyed the process of, of looking forward to an event. And uh, when that one was over, uh, I signed up for a Grand Canyon rim to rim hike, which I'm doing next week uh, at the time of this recording. So it'll be end of, end of October. Um, and I haven't quite figured out what my next thing will be. But, but if every two to three to four months I can put something on my calendar, it, it just gives you something to get excited about and to train for. And, and for me, since physical fitness is a big part of my life, I like training for different things. You know, I, I like trying to, to get in shape for a, an ultra marathon and then get in shape for a, a hike, which, you know, won't be very taxing from a cardiovascular standpoint but will be really challenging from a muscular standpoint and just being on your feet for so long each day. Um, you know, there's a few other things that have at least hit my radar. You know, there's some groups that do um, kind of simulated Navy SEAL training. So it's, it's kind of like a two day event um, that simulates hell week uh, for Navy SEALs, but it's for civilians. So it'll yeah. be, you know, challenging, but appropriate. Um, I know the Spartan races and Tough Mudders and things like that, a, a lot of folks that I've talked to have really enjoyed those. Uh, and I know that because of the pandemic right now, not all of these things are operating the way that they normally would. So I'll have to kind of pick and choose what makes sense. Uh, but yeah, if I can put something on my calendar uh, every three to four months, then, then it, it really it just it keeps me excited. And exactly. that, that I think is the key for all of us. That's a great concept. I've never really thought of anything like that as far as 
having something to look forward to already set on your calendar, something to work for, something you're excited about. It keeps you fresh and engaged and excited, sure. uh, just like you said. And just so your listeners know, I mean, just because physical fitness is kind of my thing, it doesn't have to be your thing. Like you could figure something else out. I mean, I, I know that at some point, you know, I would like to go on some type of, of yoga or meditation retreat, you know, something that's not really physically demanding, but would still be something to look forward to and would be a life-changing experience. Um, crazy enough, I've, I've had a few friends that have gone on some silent retreats, you know, where you, you know, for three to four days, you don't speak. You are not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to bring anything that could provide outside stimulation. So no phones, electronics, not even books. Um, you're literally just with your thoughts for a few days. And, and as embarrassing as that sounds to me, that would probably be the most challenging of all of these events <laughs> I've ever done. Um, but that's part of what would attract me to it. But, but same thing. And it, and it doesn't have to be a singular event either. Uh, someone might say, Hey, you know, I, I want to do eight weeks of cooking classes. Uh, uh, or dance classes, or, you know, maybe I want to do something to help me improve my artwork or my graphic design, you know, so it doesn't have to be a singular event and it doesn't have to be based on, on physical fitness. It just needs to be something that you look forward to something that you'll do some preparation for, and then something that will be a, an experience that you'll remember for the rest of your life. You know, I'm 44 years old. Uh, so in theory, I'm probably just past halftime of my life. <laughs> and, and I know that, that for the first half, there were a lot of times I was a little preoccupied with material items and, and buying things and having stuff. And, and that no longer inspires me or motivates me. Now it's much more about experiences yeah, and yeah. what can I do that I'll never forget. You know, I, I, uh, two things are really, really important to me. My children uh, and certainly being able to do some experiences with them, one-on-one uh, -on -one or even one-on-three. Um, and just life-changing experiences for myself. I mean, one of the most valuable things I have are the pictures in my phone. You know, yeah. the phone's not even that valuable, but the pictures in it of the places I've been and the people I've met and the things I've done, that stuff's really, really important to me. So uh, my goal would be at the end of my life to have a, 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 a scroll through of pictures that would be just pretty remarkable. It's funny you say that because my phone has about 9,000 pictures and videos in it. And, uh, you know, most of my kids and my wife and or stuff with my team or my family and just things that are important to me, you know, things that we do. And uh, and so I'm, I'm glad you said that. Now I don't feel so crazy having so many pictures in my phone. No, not at all. You know, what's funny is, I mean, they say that, you know, you, you can really tell what's important to somebody by the pictures they have on their phone, the books they have on their bookshelf and and what their schedule or calendar looks like. Um, and, and you could probably take that even a little bit deeper and say, you know, uh, if I opened up your refrigerator or your pantry, I would know whether or not you value eating healthy. Uh, if I look at your, if I look at your calendar, um, if it's just work stuff and you don't have anything on there about your significant other or your children, um, that would tell me something, you know, and same thing with the pictures, same thing with a, a say a credit card statement. You know, if, if I were to go through your credit card statement and see the things that you purchase, that would let me know what things are important to you. And, and let me clarify this with, uh, I'm not saying that with any judgment. You know, I'm in no position to judge you or to judge anyone else. Um, but these things shed light into what we believe is important. And, and that was a really humbling exercise for me to do a few years ago because I remember thinking to myself, you know, my, my kids are the most important thing to me and, and this is most important and this is most important. And yet 
all of those things I just mentioned did not reflect that. You know, my calendar only had work stuff on it. And, you know, so it was a very humbling exercise to go back and say, hey, the stuff I'm doing is actually what's important to me. You know, and, and that's the same thing for someone that says, yeah, you know, eating healthy and working out is important to me. And then you look in their pantry and their fridge and they don't have any healthy food yeah. and you look on their schedule and they don't have any time blocked off for workouts. Yeah. And then you have to question, all right, are you just saying that it's important or are you actually living it? So all of those things I try to use uh, to course correct myself mm -hmm. and to make sure that I'm living in alignment with what I'm, I'm believing in, in my head. If, if I'm going to say that time with my children is important, working out is important, um, you know, then I need to make sure that those metrics are in alignment with that so that I'm living the life uh, that I'm saying that I should be living. Let's shift gears a little bit. You know, from a player development standpoint, you know, when you watch the Kobe Bryant's and the Steph Curry's and the Kevin Durant's of the world work out individually, um, what are some of the things that stick out the most to you? Uh, the first thing that sticks out is all of those guys really respect the game and respect the process and respect the fundamentals that they understand how important it is to work towards mastery of the basics. And even though those guys are elite level players with just incredible and immense talent, uh, they never leave the basics. They're always trying to sharpen their footwork, sharpen their shooting mechanics, sharpen their ball handling, uh, studying film to sharpen their basketball IQ. Mm -hmm. So uh, even though they will eventually continue to level up and graduate to more advanced moves, they never leave the basics. That is always the foundation of what they do. Uh, another thing that unites those guys, they're all very coachable. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and being coachable takes humility. Now, those guys are also incredibly confident. I mean, they, they all know that they're stone cold killers on the court and they've earned the right to be confident because they've put in the work during the unseen hours. Uh, but they blend that confidence of thinking, hey, you know, I'm, a, I'm an elite player. I can knock down big shots when needed. You know, nobody can guard me. You know, they have that mentality, but they blend that with the humility of saying, uh, but I don't know everything. And, and I'm not as good as I'm going to be. So I want to stay open to coaching. Uh, I want people that can pour into me. I want to give them an opportunity to do that. Um, so, so the blend of confidence and humility, which is a difficult blend. I mean, it would be hard to be humble if you were as good of a player as Kevin Durant is. Uh, <laughs> but he knows that if he loses that humility, then he'll close himself off from getting better. Uh, I actually interviewed KD the other day for my, my podcast, and I mean, I've known him for a long, long time. I think going on 17 years now, and his, his humility is remarkable. He knows that he has a lot to learn from his new teammate in Kyrie. Yeah. He knows he has a lot to learn from, from the new head coach in Steve Nash. Uh, now, he also knows he has a lot to share, and he can add value to them, but he's not going to show up you know, for the first day of training camp with the Nets thinking, I'm a finished product. I already can, you know, I'm already done because he would close himself off to those other avenues. So uh, blending that confidence with that humility is vital and then never leaving the basics. Uh, I mean, if, if any player listening to this right now, if you can just do those two things, you're putting yourself on a path to be uh, as good as you're capable of being. Nice. And just on a side note, I'm really excited to see Steve Nash on the sidelines. Me too. <laughs> so I guess you, you covered it a little bit, but I wanted to ask, you know, three of the most important traits that you've seen in successful people in any, in any field. 
Well, the first two actually are the same two that I just said. So it doesn't matter what what business you're in, what field you're in, what it is that you're trying to master. You need to figure out what are the basics of this. So if, if you're a sales professional, what are the basics of being a great sales professional and figure those out. In other words, um, if, if footwork and shooting mechanics are the basics of being a good basketball player, then what are the basics of being a good, and then you can fill in the blank, yep. sales professional, uh, mother, uh, lawyer, uh, teacher, whatever it may be. So figure out what those basics are and then make sure you're working on them all the time. Uh, and then very similarly, and regardless of what industry or field you're in, uh, earn your confidence by putting in time during the unseen hours. So do everything you can to prep. You know, uh, as a parent, um, are you a part of a parent's group on Facebook? Do you uh, read, watch, and listen to parenting uh, type, uh, not necessarily advice, but just best practices? Yeah. And, and this doesn't mean that you're going to learn how to parent from a book. Um, parenting is a very personal decision, but are you open to hearing other people's points of view and working on yourself during the unseen hours to be the best you can be, and then staying open to continuing to, lo uh, to learn and to grow? Um, and those two are certainly the, the foundation, um, you know, above and beyond that. I mean, I really believe that in order to be exceptional at anything, you have to enjoy it and you have to be passionate about it, uh, or you at least have to be passionate about the result that you'll get from it. So a perfect example would be, you know, as a basketball player, uh, you don't have to love lifting weights. Like that might not be your favorite thing to do but you need to love the result that you get from lifting weights. Like you have to, you have to love that you are bulletproofing your body to make it more resilient against injury. You have to love that your, your uh, newfound strength and power will allow you to do certain things on the court that you couldn't do before. Um, you have to love that it's now raising the, the, the floor to the type of uh, player that you can be. So even if you don't actually love the thing, then you at least need to learn how to be passionate about and love the result that you get from it. And uh, without that passion, I just think it'd be really hard for anyone to put in the time and the effort that's required to get really good at anything. Listen. You know, I mean, if, if I didn't love uh, keynote speaking, there's no way that I would be able to long-term put in the time and effort required to get better at that craft. So I think those things are, are really, really important. And, and one of my, my favorite things about the work I do is there is just so much utility between what it takes to be a good basketball player and what it takes to be good in anything. I mean, these yeah. things are, there's so much transfer Listen. and that's why all of us, you know, can and should look towards uh, elite athletes and try to figure out some of the traits that they have and learn how to apply those to our lives. Most definitely. Something I tell my kids all the time, the things we're learning now, if, if we can apply it in life later down the road, I mean, you're going to be better by it. Absolutely. But leadership. Is it something that's innate or is it, can it be taught and developed? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it absolutely can be taught and developed. Uh, I do think there's a little bit of an innate quality. I, I think it's both, um, which is really no different than, than anything. I think having some natural talents and some, some genetic predispositions to being good at something will always help. Yeah. Uh, but yes, leadership can and should be viewed as a skill that can be improved with practice. Um, do I think everybody has the potential uh, to be a world-class leader and, and uh, somebody with just profound impact and influence? No, I don't think everyone can do that, just like I don't think everyone is capable of playing in the NBA. 
Yeah. I mean, even if at a very young age, you know, you follow and do everything right. Uh, if you don't have the genetic makeup to make it to the NBA, then you simply won't be able to do that. Uh, so I don't say that to diminish or dis discourage anyone. Um, everybody should take into account that no matter what level of leader you are right now, uh, you and I included, we can all continue to get better uh, with purposeful practice and with um, being very intentional about improving those skill sets. So, um, you know, I, I'm not very musically inclined at all. Um, I, I can't play any instruments at present, but I'm pretty sure that if, you know, if I took eight weeks of piano playing lessons, I would become much better at playing the piano. Yep. However, I don't think I'd be world class. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, anyone would be uh, vying to make me a, a professional pianist, um, but I would be able to improve. And that's really what all of us need to focus on is what are the things that we want to improve at? Because these are the things that are most important to us. And let's be very committed and dedicated to improving them um, with purpose and with intention. Uh, but don't worry about, you know, what um, the comparison game of what, what's, you know, how good are we compared to everybody else? Yeah. Just focus on becoming the best leader that you are capable of, and that will be good enough. You know, speaking on leadership, now this is other quote that, that I heard from you, but do the best you can with what you have where you are. You know, we're in the year 2020 and things are a lot different. You know, you got a lot of coaches going into their basketball seasons and it looks totally different, you know. So, so what, are some, what are some advice you'd give to some of these coaches or, or just people in general in leadership positions um, kind of moving through these uncharted waters? Yeah. And that, you know, that quote is not an Al Stein Jr. original, but I don't know that anyone actually said it that way, but I've heard that from numerous sources, which we've all heard, you know, always give your best, do the best you can. We know that. Um, but many times people use an excuse about the limitations that they have. Yeah. So they don't have all of the resources. So they make an excuse about it. And, and, you know, an easy one is with, the pandemic that you've mentioned, you know, uh, right now we're all being severely handcuffed with what we can do. You know, some places aren't playing at all. Uh, some places are, are just heavily disrupted and it's, you know, they're going to play a much more limited schedule, you know, so there's a, a wide spectrum of limitations. And, and the key to being um, successful is not focusing on the limitations, but focusing on giving the best effort, with what you can do, even if it's significantly less than you'd like to do or that you used to do, but do the best with what you can wherever you are. Um, you know, there's, uh, I had an opportunity to be the performance coach at DeMatha Catholic High School uh, in Hyattsville, Maryland. And, uh, you know, DeMatha has really, really nice facilities and has elite level talent and players and amazing coaches and great support from the administration. I mean, DeMatha is about a perfect scenario for a, a high school basketball player or coach. Um, but I've also worked with players and programs that didn't have that level of talent or didn't have very nice facilities or didn't have, you know, and they still need to do the best they can with what they have where they are. That's you know, right. if we all sit around and saying, well, I can't do this because I don't have all of that, then we'll never get to where, you know, uh, get come, come close to maximizing our potential. So part of that winner's mindset of do the best you can with what you have where you are implies that we're going to not make excuses, we're not going to blame others, uh, and we're not going to complain about things. And if you can do those three things, um, it makes you so much more emotionally nimble. It, it allows you to, to do the best you can with what you have where you are. 
Uh, and, and I will say that all of these things I'm sharing with you and your listeners right now are, are basic principles, but none of this stuff is easy. I mean, it, there's never been a time in human history than right here in the year 2020 that would be easier to make excuses and easier to blame someone or blame COVID uh, or just to sit around and complain. You know, boy, this sucks. You know, we, we can't play, we can't practice like we used to practice or our, our schedule got cut in half. We can only play conference games. I mean, it would be so easy to complain and make excuses and, and blame others, but that doesn't do anything to improve your situation. That doesn't do anything to make it better. So if it's not going to move you forward and make you better, then you might as well just cut it. You know, if, if then it's just going to start dragging you down. Uh, but please know that is really hard to do. I mean, it is hard, even for me, and I've really been focused on this for several years now. It's really hard uh, to not come up with excuses or, or to blame others or uh, to complain about the way things are. So one of the most important things we can do as leaders is focus on the things that we do have and stop worrying about the things that we don't. Do our best to eliminate blaming, complaining, and making excuses. And if you can make that part of your culture, both your personal culture as a leader and your organizational or team culture, it'll allow you to move forward at, at breakneck speed. It's, I'm glad you said that. Now, I'm going to definitely show this to my boys. You know, we talk about it all the time, right? We're, we're going to do our best to not make excuses. We, we're in a situation we're in. Let's just find a way. Let's move yes. forward and find a way. And so we're kind of drilling that into, into them every day. And I think I think it's starting to resonate and I, and I can see the light bulb turning on. So, but I think also get, having that reinforced by your words will definitely help. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, one thing that, you know, I, I, this has really helped me and I don't know if this will help anyone else. I mean, I've always believed as a coach that it's our job to make practices and workouts uh, as appropriately challenging as possible. You know, we want to create really adverse conditions so that the practices and workouts are really tough so that the games become easier by default. You yeah. know, a, a perfect example, uh, Coach Jones, if, if we were going at DeMatha, if we were going to play a team that had a really smothering full court press, that entire week of practice, he would play six on five. He would have six defenders guarding five, you know, and if, if you can get to the point where your five can break a full court press with six defenders, then when you only have to play against five defenders on Friday night, it feels like a treat. Um, and, and that's kind of the mindset. Same thing with workouts. You know, my job, if we were doing a, a conditioning workout would be to make the conditioning workout so challenging. Now, again, within reason, this is, we want to be safe. We want to be smart. We want to be progressive. But if I can make the, the conditioning workout so tough that the game almost becomes like a reward or a treat, then that's a good thing. And the reason I bring that up is that's the way I've been choosing to view the year 2020. This year has been uh, remarkably challenging in a variety of ways. I mean, the pandemic is only one way. I mean, first of all, we, we start the year by, by losing Kobe Bryant. Uh, and then, boy, does it start going downhill from there. Uh, we've got the global pandemic, which has affected the entire world. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of, of social unrest and racial inequalities and racial injustice, uh, which, is, which is major and affects everybody in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, so we've had downturns with the economy because of both of those different things. Um, I mean, there's just been so much that's going on in this world right now uh, that I view 2020 is like the ultimate hard practice or the ultimate hard workout. And uh, this year is challenging in so many ways 
that when we do come out of this, and we will come out of this at some point, sure. that uh, things will become better by default. I mean, f throw in uh, the fact that, you know, uh, this is an incredibly divisive election. Yeah. So you've got uh, a lot of focus on that. You've got a lot of animosity, especially on social media with people of varying viewpoints. I mean, this year really has been the perfect storm of challenge, which means if you have the optimism and the, the positivity and the grit to fast forward just in your mind, because I don't wish time away. You yeah. know, if I could snap my fingers uh, and it would be, you know, uh, October of 2021 right now, I would never do that. I don't want to fast forward one whole year of my life, even if it's a tough year. Absolutely. There's still some great things we could be learning from this. But if I just fast forward in my mind to one year from now, uh, it won't be in an election year. Um, I'm hoping that a year from now, the pandemic is at least somewhat under control and we can go back to some sense of, of normalcy. I'm hoping that things have drastically improved with the racial inequalities and, and laws and bills have been passed and, and, and wrongdoers have been punished. So I'm hoping a year from now, uh, things are a lot better than they are at the moment. And, and I believe they will be. So I'm taking advantage of this time uh, to practice new skill sets, to strengthen my own mindset and resolve, uh, to really test my character when it comes to doing the best I can with what I have where I am. So uh, this is going to get better at some point. The question is just how are you viewing it now? Yes. <clears throat> Very similar. I, I have an assistant coach who just got his first head coaching job. And um, I said, well, what a year to get your first head coaching job. And I said, if you can get through this, yes. you can get through any year after. And so uh, I, I love that viewpoint that you have the positivity, you know, um, thinking forward. You know, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't want to lose time, even if it's a very difficult time. That's how we grow if we, if we choose to take lessons from it. And so uh, I appreciate your insight. You know, real quick, kind of going back to what you said about the, so, the social unrest and injustice. Um, what do you think are some things that our country can learn from the locker room of an athletic program? You know, we have so many different backgrounds coming into one place and we build a family culture. So, so what are some things you think that could be learned from that? Well, you know, I'm so thankful that I've been a part of, of many locker rooms and they all were diverse in a variety of different ways. Um, and it, that's so important to have that inclusive mentality. I mean, as you just said, uh, there was, regardless of somebody's background, uh, even, and I know it's a narrower gap, but even regardless of age, whether you were a freshman or a senior, uh, regardless of your ethnicity or race, uh, regardless of your religious beliefs, uh, regardless of of whether you had one or two or no parents, um, you know, no matter what it was, everyone was respected, everyone was appreciated, everyone was valued for their differences. And, and uh, with that, that doesn't mean that everyone agrees. It doesn't mean that everybody gets along every moment of every day um, with any organization or any family that's gonna happen. But at the end of the day, you respected and you cared about the other person. You know, you said, look, uh, you know, uh, Marcus and I might not view this the exact same way, but he gets up at six in the morning to come run, you know, suicides before school, just like I do. And I respect him for that. And he is my teammate and he is my brother and I'm going to have his back. He's going to have mine. And it doesn't matter if you're the starting point guard and I'm the 15th man or vice versa we all actually appreciated and welcomed our differences because they, they made us better. And uh, yeah, I, I do believe our society at large uh, has a lot to learn from that type of mentality. And um, I do think uh, very similar to the focus on the things that you do have, as mm -hmm. opposed to the things that you don't, 
that's starting to become a problem in our country because I think too many people are focusing on the ways that we're different instead of the ways that we're the same. Um, and you know, I know you and I don't know each other super duper well. Uh, I would imagine there are some things you and I look at differently. Maybe we have different opinions on, uh, we have different backgrounds and that's okay. Uh, but I'm willing to bet the, the, you and I have more things in common and, and that are similar than we do differences. Absolutely. And uh, that's the stuff that we need uh, to be able to embrace. But, but I, I can't stress enough, you know, I, I, I don't want everyone in the world to think the same. I don't think we should all think the same. I think difference of opinion is a good thing. Yes, sir. Different yes. perspectives are a good thing. You know, um, uh, depending on where you, you grew up and where you were raised and who you were raised by, um, if that's very different than the way that I was raised and where I grew up, we're probably going to view some things differently. And that is okay. Yes, See, that should actually be embraced and appreciated. It should not be frowned upon or even worse, me thinking, well, you know, I don't even want to talk to Marcus because he thinks this. And I, I believe so something so strongly in the other direction that, well, we just can't even talk. That's where we have a problem. And, and to me, the number one issue in our country right now, even bigger than all of the things that we just mentioned, is this, this lack of having the ability to have a dispassionate discourse with people we disagree with. You know, uh, the uh, politics are the most obvious one because of the election. But so many people are like, well, I'm on this side of the fence and this is what I believe. So I'm not even going to listen to anyone that, that is on the other side. And I just think that's a shame. I think we should be able to have open, respectful and civil uh, dialogue and conversation. It doesn't mean that you need to change your mind. It doesn't mean you need to agree or believe what they believe. Um, but you need to at least be able to have a, a conversation about it. and. Uh, that's what the best teams do. You know, the best head coaches I've ever met, uh, they want a very diverse group of assistant coaches, uh, different ages, different genders, uh, different uh, racial and, and ethnicity. You know, they want to have as many different viewpoints as possible. And a good head coach does not want assistants that agree with everything yeah, that they say. Yeah. They want an assistant that says, you know, uh, I think we should be playing zone defense when the head coach thinks we should be playing man to man. And then you have a respectful discussion on why each person feels that way and, and open to it because ultimately it doesn't matter who is right. You just want to get to the bottom of what is right or, or what is the best fit. I, I don't even like to think in terms of right or wrong, but, but what is the best fit? And you know, if, if we could work more towards that, I think we'd be much better off. You know, I don't remember what I was listening to, but I heard some, somebody say in, on a podcast um, <clears throat> about something very similar. Having somebody believe something different from you and having a, being able to have that conversation would allow you to almost test your beliefs and theory in a way that, okay, let me take what they're saying and, and think about what I believe <clears throat> and see if what I believe to be true is in fact True or not, and, and it at least gets you to think about um, where you stand. You know, yeah. even as like you said, as an assistant coach, now I have again, I have a brand new assistant coach, and I told him the same thing. I don't want you to just agree with me. I want to hire right. somebody that's going to challenge me, and um, and then when you do, we'll we'll come together and, and figure out what's best for our team at that moment. Yeah. Well, th there have been a few things that have really helped me be able to do that. One is now. 
I have very strong beliefs and I have very strong convictions on a variety of different things. I mean, you, you could think of any topic right now and you could ask me my opinion of it and I'm pretty sure I'd have a pretty hard stance on what I believe. However, that does not define me and I can easily uh, disassociate and depersonalize from that where if you disagree with my belief, I'm not taking that personal. I'm not taking that as an attack. I'm not taking that as, you know, uh, Marcus doesn't like me or Marcus thinks I, I you know, uh, I'm low character or what. No, this is simply we disagree on uh, this specific uh, topic that we're talking about. Very similar to a kind of a coach-player relationship. You know, as a coach, um, we should be holding our players accountable for their behavior and their actions. It's not them as a person. You know, if, if you play for me and you show up to practice five minutes late, there's going to be a consequence for that. I don't have any problem with you. I like you, you know, but I have a problem with your behavior and your behavior was you showed up five minutes late. So um, I'm going to have you pay a consequence for being five minutes late, but it has nothing to do with you personally. And, and, and I think when we can learn to depersonalize and on some level disassociate and compartmentalize our beliefs from who we are as a human being, that right now, if I shared my beliefs on five different things and you adamantly disagree with three of them, that I don't take that as a personal attack and I don't take that is that means I'm less than. Uh, the other thing that has really, really helped me is I try not to look at anything as right or wrong and I try not to look at anything as good or bad. Now, keep in mind that's within reason. Uh, clearly, I know that there are some things going on in the world that are wrong and are bad. I'm not talking about the outliers. I'm just talking about things in general. So for me, it's more about being the right fit. Um, so if we keep using uh, politics because it is an election year, you know, if, if you and I view something about the economy differently, I don't look at it as I'm right and you're wrong. My ideas are good and yours are bad. I simply look at it as uh, the way that I see it is a better fit for me. Mm. And the way that you're seeing it, you believe is a better fit for you. And when you do that, mm -hmm. uh, able to be so much more empathetic and compassionate to the other person uh, because it's not as black and white. And again, I cannot stress enough. Yes, there are some things that are clearly bad, borderline evil. And there are some things that people do that are clearly wrong, borderline evil. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the vast majority of everything else. And this whole right, wrong, black, white, zero, sum, uh, it, just, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, it, we have to learn how to be much more open to hearing what other people have to say and not viewing it as a personal attack and not viewing it as... I'm right and you're wrong. You know, a couple of words you said there too, <clears throat> empathy and, and compassion. You know, it goes a long way. It goes a long way. Absolutely. They should be the first tools we all reach for in our toolbox. Yes, sir. Jimmy Butler, you posed a question the other day about, is Jimmy Butler a bad teammate? And, and you, you see the narrative on, on social media throughout the years. And then you see what he was able to do with, with this Miami Heat team. So what were some of the answers you got from people? And I guess more importantly, what, what do you believe? There's two things I believe when it comes to Jimmy Butler. And let me first preface it with, I've never met him. He, he's one of a handful of elite level players that I've never met. So um, all, all that I know about Jimmy Butler is what I've, I've seen, heard, or read just like everyone else. So I'm yeah. not privy to any information. Uh, I also want to make it very clear uh, that I'm in no position to judge anybody. Yeah. You know, I, I can have my opinions, um, on players, whether on or off the court, um, but I'm not in judgment of him. There's two things I think. One, 
Um, this goes back to, um, I don't necessarily think there's any such thing as a good or a bad teammate. I think it all comes down to the right fit. Yeah. Uh, I think in his first few stops on his first few teams, um, many of his teammates were not the right fit for his leadership style um, and for the way that he goes about um, trying to win. Yeah. Um, clearly, the folks at the Heat have been more receptive to that. So I, I think it's about fit. Um, but I also think, and I would love for someone to ask Jimmy this in an interview, I'm sure he's really grown and matured a lot, you know, over the last several years. Uh, I'm sure that, that he's learned a lot, uh, um, you know, when, when he was in Minnesota and, and many people didn't think he was a great teammate or when he was with the Bulls and, and so forth, even for the quick stop with the Sixers. I'm sure he's learned from those experiences. And, and right now, he, he's taking advantage of everything that he learned. So he's doing his best to be the best teammate he can be now based on what he learned. And all of us make mistakes. You know, um, I'm a better keynote speaker today than I was five years ago. So Jimmy Butler should be a better teammate today than he was five years ago, and I'm sure that he is. So uh, a lot of it just has to do with, with those things. So um, I, I just posted that because I remember uh, vividly so much talk three or four years ago about the fact that he was talented, but everyone kept saying he was a cancer and that you know he was, bad, he was a bad teammate and he wasn't going to be good for any organization. And he's clearly proved that that's not true. He is a wonderful fit at Miami. Uh, Coach Spo loves him. His teammates love him. Um, so with that being said, uh, it goes back to proving that point about it's more about fit than it is about right or wrong, good or bad. Yes, sir. You know, Coach Spo, uh, what, what he's done, too, has been pretty remarkable. I got so much respect and, and admiration for that guy. You know, just to, I just want to put that out there to the universe. <laughs> he's done a, a remarkable job. He sure has. His story is, his story is just amazing. What are your three favorite basketball movies of all time? Uh, Hoosiers would definitely be number one. That's kind of a, a classic. Um, I love Blue Chips. Blue Chips is one of my favorite movies of all time as well with good old fashioned uh, Nick Nolte. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pretty good movies. Uh, my, my kids like Space Jam. Uh, my kids like even Thunderstruck with KD. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of those movies are winning massive awards, but but still enjoy them. But uh, yeah. And then of course, I mean, you know, he got game and I mean, there's, there's so many good basketball movies, but to me without question, Hoosiers and blue chips are like one and two. And then after that, it's just a bunch of coin flips. <laughs> you know, um, you said this once, you said, if you're the same person at 40 that you were when you're 20 and you've wasted 20 years of your life. So just speak briefly on the importance of being a lifelong learner. It's vital. I mean, being, being a lifelong learner, uh, you know, first of all, I think as long as you're continuing to stay open and learning, that's also when we as human beings are, are happiest and most fulfilled. That when we're taking in new stuff it, for everybody, it just kind of, it lights you up and it, it lights your fire. So uh, if nothing else, it just keeps you in the game and, and keeps you focused. Um, but, but we should all be growing and evolving. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of, of living. And we should be doing it in every single area of our life. So uh, we should never be one dimensional. This shouldn't just be, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm focused on my job and I really want to get better at my job. Well, we should also get better um, as spouses or significant others in relationships. We should be getting better as parents if we have children. Uh, if we're leaders in our community, we should be getting better. Uh, we should be getting better at, at all of the major skills that we, we, we need, you know, emotional intelligence being one of them and self-awareness. 
we should strive to constantly make improvements in these different areas uh, because ultimately, you know, uh, time and, and life experience are some of the best teachers. So, you know, it, it would also be impossible for me to know at 20 what I know now in my 40s. There's no, so it's, this is not looking back and saying, yeah, I should have been doing better then. It's simply, uh, hopefully I, I can look back and say at 20, I was doing the best I could with what I had at that time where I was. And now at 40, I'm doing the same thing, except I'm armed with 20 years of life experience and relationships and, and, and all of these other things. So uh, yeah, this constant pursuit of self-actualization and this constant pursuit of trying to be the best version of yourself is important. And, and with that said, there will always be and there should always be a gap between who we are and who we want to be. Um, now, my goal every day is to slowly you know, close that gap, but honestly, I hope that gap never closes. Uh, I don't ever wanna wake up one day and believe you know, I'm done. Uh, yeah. I've arrived, I'm exactly who I want to be, um, because then, then you're done. I mean, you really are, that's, that's it. You've got nothing else to strive for. So even though I wanna every day make some self-improvement and get a little bit better and get closer to being that person, I certainly hope I never reach it. I love it, Alan. That's, that's a beautiful way to look at it and a, a great way to put it. Well, well let, me, let me close with this because I do have to run right after sure. this. Sure. Is kind of in line with what I just shared. Here's the filter that I actually use and I found this incredibly helpful in my life. Uh, so as I mentioned before, I'm 44 years old and I have this vision of the man I want to be 20 years from now. So, so I'm trying to picture the 64-year-old Alan. Who do I want the 64-year-old Alan to be? Now, let me preface this with, I know that time is not promised. I know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. I know there is, I mean, there is nothing that guarantees I'll even live to see the age of 64. But if I do, I want the 64-year-old Alan to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. Uh, I want the 64-year-old Alan to have a really connected relationship with his children, with his family and friends. Uh, I want the 64-year-old Alan to be doing what he considers meaningful work in service of others. So if I could fast forward and had a crystal ball 20 years from now, that's who I want to be. And right now in present day, every decision that I make, whether large or small, I try to make sure it's in alignment with becoming that guy. So from what I eat for lunch to what I watch on Netflix to who I follow on Instagram, I want to make sure that it is in alignment with becoming that guy. And uh, if most of the decisions I make, and I, I want to say most because I'm not perfect, I'm not aiming to be perfect, I have no desire to be perfect, um, uh, I make mistakes just like everybody else, but if most of the decisions I make every day are in alignment with becoming that guy, then if I do live 20 more years on this planet, that is the man that I will become. No one should be surprised. No one should be shocked. That is the life I'm designing right now. So um, if, if I'm going to make lunch, uh, what I choose to eat, am I going to eat something that's, that's healthy and good for me and takes me closer to being a fit 64-year-old? Or am I going to eat something that sends me in the other direction? You know, um, am I going to go do something for some physical, you know, physical activity or exercise? And if I do, does that take me closer to being that guy? Yeah, it sure does. Or am I going to skip it and binge watch something on Netflix and go in the other direction? Yes, These are decisions that I need to make. Yes. And if most of them are in alignment with that person, 
then, then that's who I'll become. And, and I share that because no matter where someone is in life, they can use that filter. Uh, even if it's a high school basketball player, you know, I want them to get crystal clear on, on who is the player that they want to become. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really picture it. Who do you want to be? And then every decision you make, ask yourself, is this going to take me closer to being this player or is it going to take me further away? And if every night when you go to bed, um, you know that most of the decisions you made that day sent you in the right direction. Now it's just uh, time and consistency, time and consistency, and, and that's who you'll become. And, and I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, the, the best thing you can ask yourself every night before you go to bed is just ask yourself this question. Say, I just traded 24 hours of my life for the progress that I made today. Am I happy with that trade? And if you're happy with that trade every single night, then you know you're going in the right direction. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a couple nights where if you're being honest with yourself and you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable, you're going to say, you know what? Today was not my best day. Yes. I made a handful of poor decisions. Uh, I had a lapse in judgment. Today was not my best day. Don't beat yourself up over that. You know, it's, it's one day. It's one missed shot. It's one turnover. Uh, just rest easy that night saying, you know what? Tomorrow is going to be better. Tomorrow I will make better decisions and I'll get back on track. Um, so I, I cannot stress enough. This is not about perfection. This is about constant progress. That's beautiful, Alan. And, and I, I appreciate your time so much and, and, and all the valuable, profound insight that you give, you've given today. And uh, I just want to say thanks. Thank you very much. Absolutely. My pleasure. I had a, a good time chatting with you, my friend. Yes, sir. Uh, you know what? Ten seconds. My brother Mike sure. said your book changes life in so many ways. Is there another book coming soon? There is, yeah. So if anyone's interested, you can go to raiseyourgamebook.com. Uh, that's the, my book is Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. Uh, you can also follow me on social at Alan Stein Jr. Um, and yes, I'm working on a second book now, which is called Sustain Your Game, uh, High Performance Keys to Managing Stress, Avoiding Stagnation, and Beating Burnout. So it's kind of a, a part two in theory, although... I would, I would hope someone would benefit from just reading the second book, even if they hadn't read the first one. Um, but if the first book was how do we achieve peak performance, uh, the second book would be about how do we sustain it for long periods of time. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you, Alan. I wish you nothing but best. Awesome. I appreciate you. Have a great one. You too, buddy. Thank you.